0: So we're in our final week of our series, the 30 pieces of silver today. This is the series that we have that's leading us into Easter Sunday, which if you did not know, surprise, it's it, it's next week. So um, we, we would love for you to come and join us next week. But over the past few, few weeks, we've kind of just tried to dive into and dig into what are the reasons that, that Judas did what he did. And the thing that we've settled on over and over again is It's that Judas had certain expectations in who he believed Jesus was was going to be, who was not who Jesus came to be. So there were these unmet expectations, and the power of unmet expectations can cause us to do a lot of really, really crazy things. Judas missed so much of who Jesus had come to be, and we, we we talked about how, how Judas, in, in, through his relationship with Jesus, he wanted more power, he wanted more influence, he wanted more success, he wanted more money, he wanted more prestige, he, he, he wanted a seat with all the movers and the shakers. And, 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 and one of the reasons that Judas wanted all of this is because Judas wanted more control. And I don't know if you felt this as we've gone through this series or not. I've felt it at various different times throughout the series, but, but there's something that is very uncomfortable whenever we look at why Judas did what he did. And the reason that it's uncomfortable is because whenever you really get down to the root of why Judas did what he did, we begin to see that we understand why Judas did what he did. That the motives that Judas had, we understand those motives. We, 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 we understand the, the hurt of unanswered prayer. We understand the, the, the hurt of unmet expectations. We all know about, in some way, shape, or form, about wanting more power, about wanting more success, about wanting more money, about wanting more prestige. We all know about wanting to have a seat at the most important tables, to have a voice in the most important conversations. We all know about wanting more control. We want to control what happens. We want to control how it happens. We want to control when it happens. We want to control what people think, or at the very least, we want to control what people think about us. Nobody likes being misunderstood. We want to control what we eat, when we, we, when we eat. We want to control the thermostat. We even want to control the remote control. And one of the reasons that we so badly want control It's because when we're not the one in control, that means that we must submit to the one who is. And while grasping for control is very natural to who we are, submission is not. And as a result, we often struggle to give up control, and at times we are even willing to trade Jesus in for control. But when you look at the example of Jesus' life, Jesus shows us something completely different. In fact, Jesus gives us a master class on what it's supposed to look like with Jesus being fully human and Jesus knowing the consequences of relinquishing control. He still decides to obey the Father in spite of it all. And the place that Jesus teaches this master class is it is in a place that we actually reference a lot around here. We, we look at it and use it in a lot of sermons, but rarely do we like do an entire sermon on it. But it's found in the Garden of Gethsemane. And as we've covered all throughout this series, there is so, so much that is taking place that's leading up to what happens in the Garden of Gethsemane. Today, we celebrate Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is literally the day that Jesus entered Jerusalem for that very last time. He came in on the back of a donkey, and the people lined the streets. They laid palm branches on the ground, and, and they gave him a kingly reception. They were so full of expectation as Jesus was coming into town. They believed with everything that they had that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. But they believed that, that Jesus was coming in town to, to restore Israel to a place of power. And since that was their expectation, their their, their 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 glee and and, and their joyful. It did not last long because one of the very first stops that Jesus made after he came into Jerusalem was he went to the temple. And whenever he went to the temple, he he confronted those who were running all the temple operations. He was overturning tables and 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 and, and frustrating the chief priests and other te- uh, temple leaders. He, he Jesus was questioned after this again and again and again and. He performed sign after sign and miracle after miracle. He would tell story after story, and then he would just teach and teach and teach and teach. And as the week went on, there were more and more contentious confrontations with the Pharisees and and the teachers of the law, leading to Jesus looking at them square in their eye and saying, you are hypocrites. You are a brood of vipers, among many other things, and you can feel it. As you look at the events that are taking place over the course of this week, the confrontations between Jesus and the religious leaders are becoming more frequent, and the religious leaders are becoming more and more angry. But as all this is taking place, Jesus just continues to do what he needs to do. He, He talks about the end of the age, and he talks about faithfulness and stewardship and readiness. He tells the story of the sheep and the goats and the chief priests. They... They, they, as they become more angry, they also become a little bit more organized and they attempt to come up with a plan to secretly arrest and secretly kill Jesus. All they needed was an inside man. And after everything that had happened that week, and it all culminated with this woman coming and anointing Jesus' entire body, his whole body, with this expensive perfume, Judas had, had, had gone beyond his wits' end. And, and, and so he, he goes to the chief priests and to the teachers of the law, and he tells them that I'm your man. And he asks, what will you give me if I hand Jesus over to you? And again, as all this is happening, Jesus just keeps doing what he needs to do. He gathers in an upper room with his disciples one last time. He gets down on his hands and knees, and he washes their feet. He shares the Passover meal with them and then he gives them a final teaching as if to say, I know that I've taught you a lot over these past few years, but if I was going to sum up everything that I've tried to tell you, here's what I would say. And then Jesus, he looks across this room, he looks around this room, and he looks into the eyes of all these men that he called by name. All these men that he has invested in so, so much. And he looks at them and he says, All of you are going to fall away on account of me. All of you are going to fall away on account of me. And can you imagine how hard that must have been for Jesus to say, for him to know, that in his darkest hour, those that he had invested in the most, they were all going to flee. And of course, we know what happens next. Peter speaks up for the group and kind of just speaks up for himself and he pushes back and says, oh, no, 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 Jesus, not me, not this guy. I don't care what everybody else does. There is no way I will ever deny you, Jesus. Even if I must die, I will never deny you. To which Jesus responds with a prophecy. Peter, before the rooster crows, you will have denied me Three different times. And then I would imagine Jesus is completely spent. I mean, that, 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 that's a, a, a pretty busy week that we just went through right there. I'm guessing that he's spent emotionally, spiritually, physically. And it's in this condition that Jesus makes his way to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 26. If you don't, we're going to have the verses up here on the screen. But I'd encourage you to follow along with us this morning. Because the story that Matthew paints here in in Matthew chapter 26, it is so, so vivid. And so I don't want to just read a few verses and then give a lot of commentary. I want to kind of just read this and make a few observations. And then after we read it, I want us to, to look at a few lessons, at five lessons actually, that we can learn from what happens in the garden of Gethsemane, So beginning in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 36, it says this. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said with them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John. He took, the, 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 these three guys are known as the inner three, and he takes the, his inner three along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Jesus is hurting bad, he's anguished, he's he's distressed. He's completely aware of what lies before him. And so he said to his inner three, "My, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. You know, trying to understand the depths of the Trinity is one of the most difficult things that believers will probably ever try to understand. It goes beyond what I know I can grasp, but here Jesus, with three simple words, Overwhelmed with sorrow. Jesus, who is fully human and fully God, he puts his humanity on full display. And he gives us a phrase that all of us can relate to. Oh, so well. He continues, My, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. So he asks his disciples, he says, Stay here and keep watch with me. Keep watch because the attack is coming. Keep watch because the betrayer, he is not far behind. The the enemy is about to give me his best shot. So keep watch. But going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and and, and he prayed. In a sense, Jesus is is collapsing from, from, from carrying the weight of the sins of all mankind. But he prays, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And the, the, the term cup here, it, it refers to a, a common Old Testament image of, of the cup of God's divine wrath and judgment. And so here in this moment, Jesus knows that he is about to face the brunt of that wrath and of that judgment of God. So he says, God, if there is any other way, Father, if there is any other way for your purpose to be accomplished other than what's about to take place, please let that be, but not my will. But your will be done. Verse 40 says, Then he returned to his disciples, his three closest friends, and he found them sleeping. These guys are exhausted. They don't fully understand what's taking place. They've seen Jesus go through so many difficult moments already, and he's always seemed to pull through, right? So, why would this moment be any different? They know that the teaching has been heavy, and, and, and they are just downright exhausted. They're running on empty. Very, very soon, their adrenaline will kick in that will probably keep them up for days. But right now, they're just tired. But Jesus asked them, couldn't you you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Again, it's like, keep watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And then Jesus, he went away a second time and he prayed, My father, if it, is possible, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And for a second time, he came back and he again found his three closest friends sleeping because their eyes were heavy. And so he left them and went away at once. once more and prayed a third time saying the exact same thing and then verse 45 he returned to the disciples and said to them are you still sleeping and, and resting look the hour has come and with those words shivers would have gone up the disciples spine because so many times in their time with jesus they have heard jesus say my time has not yet come The hour has not yet come. But here in this moment, Jesus says, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Church, may we never underestimate the pain that Jesus went through for me and for you. For the rest of our time together, I want us to, to look at, at, at these lessons that I believe we can learn from, from what happens in the Garden of Gethsemane and, and these lessons that are so, so important for our lives today. So that's what I want to look at for for the rest of our time. If you have notes, I would encourage you to, to write these down. I don't always encourage you guys to write stuff down. I ha, Like I said, there, there's five of these things. And I normally don't preach messages like this where it's like five points or whatever, but and, and maybe some of you love these kinds of sermons. If you do, here you go. If you don't, it will be over soon. But five lessons from Gethsemane. The first one is this. Lesson number one, keep watch. Keep watch. Multiple times Jesus tells his disciples to keep watch, to be aware, to be alert, to be on the lookout. Why? Because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We understand this. We've all had moments in our lives to where we know what we're supposed to do. But we just can't bring ourselves to do it. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And the, the, the truth is about spiritual attack is that the question is not if spiritual attack is going to happen. That answer is yes. The question is when and how will spiritual attack happen? And so as we keep watch, as, as, as we're on alert, as we're on guard for this spiritual attack, I, I believe that there are a few warning signs that, that we should all be aware of whenever it comes to spiritual attack. The very first one is, is, is tragedy. We've all experienced this. I don't need to explain this one too much. We've all experienced some sort of tragedy in our life. And the enemy will use that tragedy to cause us to wonder, does God really love me? Does God really care? Someone gets sick. Someone passes away. There's an accident. We don't understand. Like there's something that's happening that we just cannot make sense of. And the enemy comes in and begins to whisper in our ears, does God really care? Would God really allow you to experience this if God really cared? And so whenever you experience some sort of tragedy, keep watch. Another one plays right into that, grief. Whenever our hearts are broken and we are just so, so saddened, keep watch. The enemy again, he will begin whispering in in your ear, if God really loved you, he would not allow you to experience what is hurting you so bad. But we know that that's not true. Whenever you start something new, whenever you start something new, keep watch. Whenever you move into a new city, whenever you begin a new job, whenever you're entering into a new season of life, whenever there's something new that's happening, keep watch because the enemy will use that to convince you that God may have been with you in in, in your past ventures, but now you're entering into something that is so uncertain. And the enemy will love to prey on any kind of uncertainty. Whenever you're experiencing deep levels of stress, keep watch. Whenever you're absolutely exhausted and, and dealing with great fatigue, keep watch. You, you're, you're tired, your family is wearing you out, you're stressed because of finances or whatever the case may be. Keep watch because the enemy will use every single one of those to cause you to doubt God's provision. And as Jesus says this to, to his disciples, as he tells his disciples to keep watch, they are absolutely exhausted, they are drained, they are confused, they don't understand what's going on, and they are def, definitely guaranteed to enter into a new season of life and they're also about to experience one of the greatest tragedies that the world has ever known. And But what was true for the disciples is also true for us. On the other side of the tragedy, it's the greatest victory they could ever imagine. A greater victory than they could ever imagine. And the same thing is true for us whenever we go through so much pain and so much hurt. There is victory on the other side we know that it's really hard to see that victory whenever you're in the middle of it so keep watch but these warning signs they're not just warning signs for spiritual attack these warning signs are also some of the greatest opportunities that you will ever face for spiritual growth so key number one lesson number one from gethsemane keep watch lesson number two god is familiar with the most difficult emotions God is familiar with the most difficult emotions, and I hope that this can give some of you a little bit of hope today. Hebrews chapter four tells us in speaking of Jesus, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Just think about it, in this very moment, Jesus is hurting so, so deeply in the most human of ways. God in the flesh, in such great pain, He's completely alone. Even with his friends nearby, he is completely alone. Have you ever felt that before? Maybe you're surrounded by other humans. Maybe you're even surrounded by other humans whom you love, but but you you you're, you're, you're alone. You don't believe that they can understand what you're going through. They you don't believe that they can understand everything that's going on in your heart and your life and your mind. And so even though you're around people, you still feel alone. Jesus understands that. Matthew tells us that, that Jesus is overwhelmed with sorrow. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever been overwhelmed with sorrow, with a pain that is so debilitating that you can barely get out of bed, that the only time the tears are not falling out of your eyes is whenever you feel like that the tears have literally run out? It's a pain that is so real and so deep inside of you that you don't even know how you can go on. We see that Jesus understands that too. We see that Jesus fell on his face. Yes, that is definitely a humble prayer posture that he was taking. But it's also a picture of one who was collapsing under the weight that was uh, of more than what they could handle. Have you ever experienced that? That the weight of the hurt that you were experiencing, the weight of the disappointment, the the weight of the regret, of the shame, of the sin that you were experiencing and that you were going through, it was so heavy that you literally just collapsed. And the thing that's so different for Jesus in this situation is, is, is that as each and every, that, that, is, that what Jesus was putting on himself was each and every one of our sins. Not his own sin, but he was being loaded up with our sins so he could carry them to the cross. And this is what Jesus felt. And, and even though this is what Jesus was feeling, he continued to invite us to give it all to him just the same. So he understands this feeling too. We will all feel different kinds of pain in this life. But as we do, may we never forget that it's okay to go to God with our pain because Jesus is familiar with the most difficult of emotions. Then lesson number three that we learn in the Garden of Gethsemane is do not underestimate the simple tasks. Do not underestimate the simple tasks. And this one's pretty simple. Peter made a bunch of bold statements throughout his his, uh, his, his, his relationship with Jesus, he, he made a bunch of bold statements of intention before even just heading to the garden. But bold statements of intention do not determine our outcome. Peter said, Even if I must die, Jesus, I will never betray you. And Jesus replied to him, Within a, within a matter of hours, Peter, you're going to deny me three different times. And I know that those words had to still be echoing in Peter's mind as he made his way to the garden. And and even with those words in his mind, he continues to fall asleep again and again and again when Jesus had just simply asked him to keep watch. One of the things that seems so prevalent among Christians today, one of the things that seems so prevalent in the church today is, is a desire to do the big things while much less of a desire to do the things that we deem to be less important Or more simple, Christians are so excited to go on mission trips to to share the hope of Jesus with a lost and a dying world, while they're far less eager to go next door to share Jesus with a lost and dying world. Christians are so excited to be a part of things like we have here, like Be the Church Day to where you just go and, and you serve, you know, and, and, and you're the hands and feet of Jesus to a community, which is a beautiful thing, but Christians are far less eager to consistently be the church. Christians are so excited to serve at things like feeding my starving children, but they're far less excited to serve in children's ministry. This is the the, the thing that that, that we all understand so much. Peter was, was ready to go to the grave for Jesus until Jesus simply asked him to stay awake and pray because bold statements of intention do not determine the outcome. But the thing that is so often missed is is that being consistently faithful with the small things equals really, really big things. And it also helps us to see that in the kingdom of God, there is no such thing as a small thing. And lesson number four, and this one's really difficult, loving God doesn't mean we want to face what God calls us to face. It does mean that we face it anyway. Loving God doesn't mean that we want to face what God calls us to face. It does mean that we face it anyway. Have you ever made the connection between the Lord's Prayer and the prayers in the Garden of Gethsemane? In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is showing us the prayer requires more than words, but it requires action And with this prayer, Father, if it is all possible, please take this cup away from me, but not my will, but your will be done. Jesus is effectively putting the Lord's prayer into practice. The Lord's Prayer, whenever you boil it down, it is a prayer of worship. It's a prayer of submission. Your kingdom come, we pray. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And with that prayer, it means that we are inviting God's kingdom and God's will to supersede our kingdom and our will. And that's exactly what Jesus is modeling here. Loving God doesn't mean we want to face what God calls us to face. It does mean that we face it anyway. God's call on our lives may lead us through unbearable pain. We know that. But listen, if that was the case for Jesus, why in the world would we expect that we, his followers, would have anything different? And at the end of the day, our desire for control is incompatible with the Christian life. To truly live the life that Jesus desires for us to live means that we are daily, like moment by moment, living lives of complete surrender and submission. It means that whenever we don't understand what's going on, whenever we don't understand what God is doing, that we continue to trust him. Even when things don't make sense, that we continue to move forward. It's not that we're making light of our pain. We don't make light of our pain. But we trust that God will see us through our pain in some way. And I know it's so easy to sit and think, well, that's not fair. That's not how things are meant to be. And I I get it. Loving God doesn't mean that we want to face what God calls us to face. It means that we do it anyway. This past week, I I read a quote, and it said this, never trade what you do know for what you don't know. And as Christians, here's what we can know. Jesus really lived. He really died. He really resurrected from the dead. So sure, we may not always understand why things happen. But never trade what you do know for what you don't know. And finally, lesson five. Enough. In Mark's gospel, he concludes the story of Gethsemane like this. Returning the third time, Jesus said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough! The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners and one of the reasons that i love this so much is because mark was not an eyewitness to this but mark was a follower of peter who was an eyewitness to this meaning that the way that mark learned about the events in the garden of gethsemane came directly from peter and i love peter's relationship with jesus because Peter got so, so many things right. He was so full of passion. He was so full of belief. He was willing to speak up when others didn't know what to say. And But Peter also missed the boat on occasion. None bigger than what happened just hours before the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus, I will never deny you. Even if I must die, I will never deny you. Jesus says before the rooster crows you will deny me three times then he goes to the garden and you know that encounter with jesus had to still be on his mind and jesus tells peter and his buddies keep watch but they just couldn't do it matthew says that their eyes were heavy and so jesus he goes and he prays and he comes back and they're sleeping And so he goes again, and he prays, and he comes back, and they're sleeping. And then he goes a final time, and he prays, and he comes back, and they're sleeping. And Peter remembers Jesus saying, enough, enough. And today, perhaps for some of us, that is the exact message that Jesus has for us. He gets down and he looks us in the eye and he he looks at you and he just says, Enough! What are you doing? You are completely sleepwalking through your discipleship process. You are completely sleepwalking through my instructions for your life. Enough! You've convinced yourself that your version of right and wrong is more important than his version of right and wrong. You've made yourself the author of truth and he's saying... Enough. Wake up because your accuser is coming. The accuser is here. Quit sleeping and wake up. Enough. The lessons in the Garden of Gethsemane, man, they are so, so needed today. We have to keep watch, we must become people of prayer. The disciples' failure to remain prayerful led them to failing the test before it even arrived. We must take comfort in the fact that God is familiar with the most difficult emotions, that it's okay to go to God with our pain. We must never underestimate the power of the simple tasks, of the small things, because in the kingdom of God, there is no such thing as a small thing, and we must remember that loving God does not mean that we want to face what God calls us to face. But it does mean that we face it anyway. The Christian life, whenever you boil it down, it is a life of surrender and submission. It's a life that lays our hearts and our desires before God. But then at the end we'll say, but not my will, but your will be done. We must take a deep Deep look inside of ourselves at our ideologies at all the things that we hold most important in our lives we must look at them and and hold them up to the person and the truth of jesus and see am i missing something is god looking me in the eye today and saying enough sure sure you you may be saved and you may be able to go to heaven but you are not ready for what this world is going to throw your way. So wake up. Enough. Jesus literally prayed again and again and again that God would take this cup away from him. But in the end, he surrendered his will to the will of the Father. And today, church, may we do the same. Because as we're going to talk about next week, the greatest hope that this world has ever known was made available to us because of the surrender of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane all the way to the cross. Will you pray with me this morning? Jesus, thank you. Thank you for all that you went through, God. I that seems to be the prayer that I've that's just been on my mind over and over again as we've gone through this series and looking at the pain that you've withstood. Jesus, just thank you. Thank you for making a way where there was no way. Thank you for the calling that you put on each and every one of our lives. Thank you for your sacrifice and your hope. Jesus, may it truly change every part of who we are. Jesus, thank you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.